This is the English Heritage Podcast. Hello and welcome back to your weekly podcast into England's past. I'm Charles Rowe. Don't forget to tap or click subscribe to get regular updates every Thursday. Now, this week we're getting to know a lady who defied the conventions and prejudices of her age to be raised as part of an aristocratic family in Georgian Britain. Dido Elizabeth Bell was the illegitimate daughter of British naval officer Sir John Lindsay and an African woman named Maria Bell, who may have been a slave. Dido spent much of her life at Kenwood House on Hampstead Heath in North London, where she was raised by her great-uncle, Lord Mansfield, who through the 1750s to 80s was the most powerful judge in England. Joining us to discuss Dido and her remarkable story are two experts, Cathy Power. Hello, hi there. And Sarah Merton. Hello, and thank you for inviting me. So, could you both tell us what you do and how you have come to get to know Dido? Cathy, if you'd like to go first. Well, I first became aware of Dido when I was the senior curator in London and researching the history of Kenwood, its collections, and the people who had lived there. And then I worked on, over the years, two exhibitions that have explored Dido's life and her links to Lord and Lady Mansfield in the 18th century. Since then, I've never really stopped being interested in her story. Well, it's a fascinating story, I must admit. What about you, Sarah? Mine's slightly different. I'm an independent uh, 18th century historian and author. And together with a friend of mine, Joanne Major, I co-host a blog called All Things Georgian. In that, we take a look at all aspects of 18th century life, warts and all. And I think like most people, I'd sort of heard of Dido. I'd seen the portrait of her. I'd read the book. I've seen the film. But I didn't really know anything more than that. And then that all changed about three years ago. We were contacted by one of our readers of the blog, um, Etienne Daly, who has spent many years piecing together her life. And he simply said, had we heard of her? And had we come across her in when researching anybody else? So having sort of said no, we were like, well, right, well, we need to try and find out a bit more about her. And then it just grew from there. We just started right with the basic information that was known about her. And here we are sort of several years later. Let's get a bit more background on Dido Elizabeth Bell then, shall we, Sarah? Who were her mother and father? What do we know about the circumstances surrounding her birth? Dido's father was uh, Sir John Lindsay. He was born about 1737 and he was born into an affluent Scottish family. And he was believed to be the younger of two sons born to Alexander Lindsay and his wife Amelia. Now, Amelia was the sister of William Murray, better known as Lord Mansfield. So that makes Lord Mansfield Sir John's uncle, hence the reason that Dido ended up living at Kenwood House. And Dido's mother, we believe that she may have been a slave? Right. Well, Sir John Lindsay was, uh, say, he had an illustrious naval career. And it was whilst he was sailing the Seven Seas, so to speak, that his ship captured another ship and it's believed that Maria Bell was a slave on this ship Mm. and that a liaison took place and Maria became pregnant and Sir John arranged for her to be taken back to England where Dido was born. 
Right, so Maria actually went back to England as well. Yes, she did. So it's most likely that um, Maria Bell, Dido's mother, and Dido were in England starting a new life, so to speak. Dido was obviously born. What year are we talking here? She was born at the end of June 1761. The one thing that we know for certain was her baptism, and that took place in November of 1766. So that was when she was five years old, and the baptism entry records her as Dido Elizabeth, and that she was the daughter of Belle and his wife Maria. Right. So there's no mention of Sir John Lindsay, just a very mysterious Belle, which is spelt B-E-L-L, and somehow she became Dido Bell from that. Oh, that's interesting, because we seem to have B-E-L-L-E as her Yes, yes, you name. do. That just seems to be the way it's been sort of transcribed over history, that it's Bell with an E, the E being dropped, I think, by Maria later on. That's very interesting. Or never having been there in the first place. We, re- we really don't know. There are still very many questions I suppose out there it, that are unanswered. It all adds to the allure, doesn't it, I suppose, of yes, the story? I think it does. What would have been the situation in the Caribbean at the time? Well, you've got to bear in mind that at that time, Britain had an overwhelming taste for sugar. Sugar absolutely dominated life in the Caribbean with affluent British sugar plantation owners using the slaves out there to produce more and more sugar to fulfil the British needs. I mean, if we look at Jamaica specifically, because that's where the British had one of its largest presences, and that's where Sir John Lindsay spent much of his time, the climate out there was ideal for cultivating sugar claim. It was hot and humid, work would have been extremely hard. Enslaved workers were working from dawn till dusk, manual work, anyone caught slacking would have received an exceptionally harsh punishment or beatings or death. And the life expectancy for slaves was extremely short. Mm. It wasn't uncommon for plantation owners to use the females basically for their own pleasure and gratification. And quite how much Sir John knew about the everyday life on the plantations, we don't know. But we do know that his brother was married to the daughter of a plantation owner, so he couldn't have been completely ignorant about it. No, and I suppose to his credit in some way, he did the right thing by bringing Maria and his daughter to England. Yes, because I think it would have given, obviously it would have given them a better quality of life. Yeah, so he wasn't completely heartless. I don't think he was. I like him. (laughs) Cathy and I have discussed this before, and Mm. and I think, yes, you know, I think perhaps our different perceptions of him. I quite like him. I I have to say I have a soft spot for him. He did father a number of other children, though. I understand Dido was one of a number of offspring of, of Sir That's John Lindsay. That's right. This is sort of new information that uh, Joe and I came across, and, and we've written about it in detail on, on the uh, All Things Georgian blog. It's been known for quite a while, shall we say, that there was Dido and that then there was a son called John and a daughter called Elizabeth. And Joe and I started to look at the parish registers for Jamaica, thinking that maybe that's where Dido actually was born. That's what we were looking for. But there were rather a lot of Didos born that year, and none of them actually tallied with anything that we knew. 
But what we did find was a record for John Edward Lindsay. He was born 1762, so the year after Dido, in Port Royal. Mm. And the baptism register describes him as John Edward, son of John Lindsay and Mary Valley, a mulatto. Unfortunately, this child only survived for a further month and then was buried at the, uh, the cemetery at Port Royal. Right. That was the first sort of finding, that there was more than just the Dido and the John and the Elizabeth. 1764, Sir John returns back to England and he's knighted. following year, he goes off out to Pensacola in Florida as a, a senior naval officer. And whilst out there, he acquired a plot of building land but we didn't quite know at that stage what. He then returns the following year to Jamaica and in the November, a Sarah Gandwell's name appears in the baptism registers. She's described as a free Negro and she gave birth to a daughter, Anne. It's quite clear that uh, she names him, names Sir John as the father. Generally speaking, was he having liaisons with African heritage women? Yes, I think he was. Certainly, we, we know that two of the other children did not have white mothers. Elizabeth was born to a Martha G. We know absolutely nothing about who she was. She is uh, named in Sir John Lindsay's will. And we know that she went to Scotland where she was, was raised and she married there. And the research into her life is still continuing at the moment. Mm. And that just leaves the final child, which was John. He's also named in Sir John Lindsay's will. And again, he was believed to be born in Scotland, but he wasn't. He was born in Jamaica, so we found his records. In total, how many children did Sir John Lindsay have and with how many women? Oh, this sounds really bad, doesn't it? Five children, five different women. And were all of them named in his will? No, Dido wasn't, but Elizabeth and John were. Very interesting. We can only guess, I presume, at why that might be. I would say in all likelihood that Sir John felt that, well, certainly we know that Lord Mansfield provided for Dido during his lifetime and that he provided for her when he died. So whether they had come to some arrangement whereby Lord Mansfield would leave money to Dido, we don't know. Bearing in mind his exploits beneath the bedsheet, do you still think that he's a nice man? Yes, he provided a, a home through his uncle for Dido, but he was also having liaisons with these other women and bringing other children into the world. I think moralistically, I think it's quite difficult to judge because we're looking at it through 21st century eyes. He was a young man, he was single, and what we don't know is we don't know the circumstances under which he met these different women. Certainly, we know that he bought Dido Back, either Dido was born in England or he brought her back to England. The jury is still out on which is the truth. But we know that he arranged for his two living children, which at that time of John and Elizabeth, to go to Scotland, where mm. they were raised. We know that he obviously thought a lot of them because he provided for them in his will. We know that John Jr. also provided for his mother back in Jamaica in his will. Right. So the channels of communication, I think, remained open. Well, moving away from Dido's father, Sir John, back to Dido herself. Cathy, mm. um, let's talk to you. When did Dido come to live at Kenwood? And also, how old was she at the time? 
Our first record for the exact date when she came into Lord and Lady Mansfield's care, we don't know, but she was certainly five years old by the time of the first record in 1766, which is the date of her baptism. To find Dido being baptised in the church in Bloomsbury, which is near the home of Lord and Lady Mansfield, I think we can be fairly certain that at that point she's in with the Mansfield family. What can you tell us about the Mansfield, specifically William Murray, the first Earl of Mansfield, who was the Lord Chief Justice, the most powerful judge in England at the time? Lord Mansfield's character is bound up with his profession as a lawyer and ultimately, as you say, he became the most senior judge in England. Um, He came from a Scottish family, so the family seat at Schoon Palace, Perthshire, but he was a younger son, so he had to make his own way. And by the mid-1760s, which is when we know that Dido was with him and Lady Mansfield, he was established in Georgian society. He had two homes, a townhouse in Bloomsbury and Kenwood as a country estate. And I think alongside his wife, Lady Mansfield, they were at the height and centre of political and high society. He was employing the most modern of the moment architect, Robert Adam, to do building work and new designs at his home at Kenwood. They didn't have children of their own but both caring people because they're looking after a great-niece, Dido, but also another great-niece, little Elizabeth. And importantly, I think we have to think about Lord Mansfield and Lady Mansfield as open-minded because one of the children was mixed-race and illegitimate. And as a judge, the legal cases are many, but probably one of the most discussed of his judgments related to slavery and the slave trade is the Somerset case of 1772. The African James Somerset was kidnapped from the streets of London, sold to be transported to the plantations in the Americas, but it was Mansfield's legal judgment that freed him. Then and now this was seen as one of the first milestones towards freedom of black people. Mansfield wasn't trying to make a legal case on the wider issue of the abolition of the slave trade or emancipation for the black people. And Dido in London was one of perhaps 10,000 black people in London at the time. I mean, numbers vary wildly. I mean, some quote 3,000, some up to 15,000. But Dido's presence was known and noted by Mansfield's guests. Yes. Now, you mentioned a little bit earlier the fact that Dido, she also had a sort of a a friend slash sister there living as well, which is her cousin, Lady Elizabeth Murray. And they are, of course, in this famous portrait, which survives. And this is supposedly only one known portrait of Dido. And this is the key thing that allows us to look into her life, really. Can you tell us a bit more about this portrait, either of you? I think it's probably one of the best-known portraits of the 18th century to show a young black woman with equal standing beside her companion. Um, The portrait shows Dido on an equal eyeline looking out at us with her cousin Elizabeth 
beside her. Dido has been given an exotic air. There's an otherness to her. It's not just related to the colour of her skin. She's wearing a silk turban with a feather. She's carrying a basket of tropical fruit. While Elizabeth is holding a book, she's a little bit more portrayed within this idea of genteel Englishness. But there is a wonderful kind of intimacy because as a double portrait, Elizabeth is putting out her right hand to kind of at this moment caught Dido is passing by um, her on the terrace and Elizabeth is almost saying you know stay a moment stay with me Mm. it's a really nice feeling of affection and companionship but I think there's more than just being a companion there yes they both seem quite happy really And for people listening right now, you probably would have to go to your internet browser and have a look at it as we talk about it. Lady Elizabeth seems to be sitting down on a bench from what it appears to me. And Dido appears to be going from the right to the left. It's like a fleeting shot in a way. Yes. I mean, you can just see in the background behind Elizabeth the outline of the seat. Mm. And in the distance on the left is basically the Kenwood landscape, the Mm. lake, and you can see out on the horizon to London. The artist, David Martin, has kind of given the sense that they're together in a landscape. Elizabeth sits, Dido is standing and she's passing. When you look at other 18th century portraits, this one stands out because Dido is not a servant she's not kneeling she's not with head cast down and she has a name she's not anonymous so many paintings of 18th century before and in the 19th century you don't know the name of all the sitters you just get one what does this tell us about dido's life at kenwood sarah would you say there's a little bit of a sparkle in their eyes isn't there there's a little bit of a small smile creeping across their faces Mm. I think they were good friends. I don't think particularly that Dido was treated any differently. There is an argument that says she didn't dine with them, but she joined them afterwards. And what we don't know is whether that was the norm or whether that was just on that particular occasion. I'm inclined to think that she was, as Cathy said, that she was well looked after by the Mansfields, that she didn't want for anything. And to a large extent, was an equal to uh, Lady Elizabeth. And what was her relationship like with her cousin, Lady Elizabeth Murray, who's in the picture with her? Was Lady Elizabeth Murray already at the property? Oh, well, I think Elizabeth would have arrived in 1766, which is the year that Elizabeth's mother died. So Elizabeth was about nearly a year older than Dido which is why the 1766 date of the baptism is quite interesting because it kind of pushes you towards thinking that Dido was being more formally brought and recognised within the Mansfield because she's being baptised, she's being christened in, and that was important rite of passage for everybody. And it's the year that Elizabeth is, comes into the Mansfield family as well. When her mother died, her father, David Murray, another nephew of Mansfield, more senior nephew, actually, than Lindsay, John Lindsay, because he was going to be the Mansfield heir. 
He was an ambassador. He had posts in Vienna and Paris. And so when his wife died, it wasn't really appropriate for him to have a young daughter to look after. So that's why she would have come into the Mansfield family then. And with them being so young together at that time, in the sort of mid-1760s, would they have grown together as sort of best friends, really, and quasi-sisters in the property? I hope so. I think the painting, which is really gives us a point in time, in the double portrait, they're probably about 15, 16 years old, maybe 17, depending on when you date the painting to. You know, they're together and they've been painted together and the commission has asked the artist, David Martin, for specifically to paint them together. I think, you know, you wouldn't do that if there wasn't a good bond. Sarah, you're our independent expert on Dido Elizabeth Bell. What happened to Dido after Lord Bansfield's death in 1793? Where did she live? She carried on living at Kenwood until several months after Lord Mansfield had died. And then she was introduced to and married a French gentleman, John de Vinier, or John as we know him in English. His actual name was uh, Jean-Louis Charles de Vinier. And he was from Ducey in Normandy. And they married, as I say, a few months after uh, Lord Mansfield had died. How old would Dido have been when Lord Mansfield did die? She was 32. 32, yeah. 32. Oh, so she's pretty Sorry. old by these yeah. sort of standards. Would have been married it, off it, by this it's point. It's why Elizabeth marries and goes off in um, 1785. So those years of Dido in her early through to her 20s, her position at Kenwood feels quite different because, you know, she doesn't have the youth and and companionship Mm. of Elizabeth anymore. She's there and she stays behind. She doesn't marry until literally the year that Mansfield dies. So you do get a sense that Dido in her 20s is caring now just for Mansfield as he gets increasingly elderly and frail. And within Kenwood, two people come into Kenwood to help run the household, but they are Mansfield's generation of nieces, not Dido's age group. Right. So she's part of a household now that is completely focused around caring for Mansfield. And I suppose after his death, I know that she was left money, but I suppose in some respects she was probably looking for companionship and also for another male provider, you know, after he'd gone. Would that be I fair? Don't think she, no, I don't think she needed a male provider. She had in the will that Mansfield first made, actually, when he was alive, and it was just before Lady Mansfield died, there was a provision in the will that, Dido was going to be recognised and get £100 a year. And then he added to that, he added to the money of the will and gave her another bequest of 200 And then he must have thought about it further. And then he added a capital inheritance to 500 But probably the most important thing that he gave and put in the will was a line that said, I confirm to Dido Elizabeth Bell her freedom. Well, that's so an important that thing, isn't it? 
absolutely clear that Dido was not a slave. She was not a servant. She was a free woman. So even when he was most senior judge in the land and he was very aware of the role of plantations, the economics, the trade, he was very aware of that and he was making it crystal clear that she was a free woman. So Dido marries this Frenchman, Jean. Did she have any children with him? Yes, she did. She had um, twins, Charles and John, followed by William Thomas. John, though, didn't survive infancy, so that just left the two boys. Okay, and they lived in London? They did live in London, yes. When uh, Dido and uh, John de Vinier married, they moved into a new build on Runley Street in Pimlico, just near the church that they uh, they married at. They certainly weren't penniless, because as Cathy said, she received inheritance from Lord Mansfield, and then another one from uh, Lady Marjorie Murray. So uh, they were quite comfortably off. You know, they, the house would have had um, you know, enough room for the, a growing family, a cook and a servant. So, um, yes, it wasn't a bad start to life. What was uh, John's job? That's an interesting one, because when I first sort of watched the, the film, Belle, about her life, the implication was that he was the son of a, a vicar and that he was a trainee lawyer. He was actually a, when he arrived in England, he took a job as a valet and then worked his way up to a higher position of a gentleman's steward, working for the gentry, but in a, a very sort of prestigious position. And when we talk about valets in the Georgian period, we're obviously not talking about people collecting cars or cleaning cars. No. <laughs> so just tell no, us. No, not, not quite the same thing. It was, a, it was basically, it was a gentleman's gentleman looking after all the needs of the, the master of the house, assisting him with dressing and things like that, right. just making sure that he was, uh, was all ready to, uh, to go out for the day and any other assistance that was needed. How long did their marriage together last? Well, Dido died in 1804. And she was 43, I understand. She was 43, yes, that's right. So they were married about 10, about, about a decade? Yes, had, uh, about a decade together and, say, two, two boys... We don't know the cause of death for Dido because obviously until 1837, death certificates that we know know of today, they weren't issued. There's no sign of an inquest and there was nothing in the press to suggest there was anything untoward. So we can only assume it was natural causes. What happened to her children and their descendants? Well, two boys were very well educated. They went to a private tutor, Mr. James Carver, at a private school in Pimlico. Charles, the elder one, he joined the army and joined as a cadet on the recommendation of uh, his father's employer and a glowing reference from his tutor, of course. And he remained in the army until out in India until 1841. And then they, he and his wife and their two daughters and son came back to England. And uh, it was 1873 that Charles died. The other brother, William Thomas, he stayed in England. He didn't actually go off and join the, the army or go and the, join the East India Company. But he did work for them in the home establishment. And he married and had a daughter, Emily, and he died 1867. So I guess the next question is, where does Dido's connection to our present end? Her last descendant was her great-great-grandson, and he died in 1975 out in South Africa. 
so that really does sort of end the line on that side of things on Sir John's from Sir John's point of view his daughter Elizabeth though some of her ancestors are still alive so there's still research going in in that direction well let's look at obviously the picture again I, I suppose that is one of the key pieces of evidence of Dido's existence but what evidence is there of Dido at Kenwood today there's a reproduction image of the double portrait at Kenwood. I think the thing about Kenwood as an historic house, it's an 18th century house. It is exactly as how Dido would know it. I mean, obviously, from the outside and when you walk round, when Dido lived there, Kenwood was a bit smaller. It didn't have the north front projecting wings for the music room and the dining room but saying that she would know them because they were built by 1796 so Dido was alive and although she wasn't living at Kenwood then one would hope that she still went there if you walk in the north front of Kenwood through into the entrance hall the staircase through to the Adam Library that sweep of rooms have been paint researched conserved the paint colors and the walls the envelope if you like of walking that route Dido would know it and what about this reproduction that you've just mentioned whereabouts would that be in the property the original hangs I believe is it Scotland the original painting now hangs in Scone Palace in Perthshire in Scotland the painting hung at Kenwood from when it was painted throughout the 19th century until Kenwood was sold. Some of its contents were sold, some of the contents the family moved up to their seat in Scotland. And that's when the painting went to Scotland. So the reproduction of it that you can see at the moment um, hangs in the housekeeper's room, which is next to, oh, it's on the south front. Is it quite large? Is it a faithful reproduction? It's a photographic reproduction. I it's see. Not a, it's not an oil on canvas reproduction. And is it quite large? It's not life size to the painting, but it's quite large. Okay. A film that you've uh, both mentioned about Dido called Bell was released in 2013. Was some of it shot at Kenwood? Actually, most of it was shot, I believe, in the Isle of Man. And London Pinewood Studios recreated the interiors of Kenwood. But there are moments in the film when you get the long shot and you see the wonderful setting and you see the landscape and you see the south front. What about the story of this bell in the film? Is it uh, similar to reality or is there a lot of creative licence? I think, yes, it's an adaptation of her life. And as Sarah's mentioned in the film, her husband that she marries, the love interest, if you like, is not quite right. John Davinia was a steward. And also the film take the legal cases that Mansfield was judging on and they kind of bring them together. So rather than think about the Somerset case, then the Zong, and do you know what I mean? they, they kind of bring the, the thread of the story together in one. I mean, it makes sense of what, Mansfield is saying but he's not saying it all at once <laughs> do you know what I mean they just brought the time period together and yeah, yeah. it's a thematic treatment uh, for the purposes of telling a, a character story yeah and it's, it's an, it was an interesting and popular way of doing it what about you Sarah what do you think of the film were you happy with the telling 
Yes, yes, definitely. I think, you know, as Cathy said, I think um, there there is a lot of creative or artistic license in it. But it generated interest. People suddenly became very interested in Dido, in her life. And it's almost by presenting the, the actual facts of her life is arguably shattering the illusion from the film for some people. But... Um, it's a good film. I suppose the important thing is that I'm sure it it's a good... It raises awareness. Yes, I'm sure it's a, you know, a good story. And at least a story has been told and it, then that draws you into perhaps researching for yourself the truth behind the telling. Yes, absolutely. Why is Dido such an important figure in the story of Kenwood's and, of course, Britain's uncomfortable relationship with slavery? I suppose she's a trailblazer in many ways. Yes, and I th- I think it's because we know so little about the experiences of black women in the 18th century that we can't help but be drawn to Dido's story. I mean, she's not anonymous. She had her place at Kenwood, and Kenwood was a significant place to be in the 18th century with Lord and Lady Mansfield. I think it's one of the uplifting stories, if you like, of a black person being part of an equal to, joining in and making their life. But also I think the important thing also about the whole thing is that behind that story lies the terrible and cruel slave trade. And for you, Sarah, what is um, Dido's legacy at Kenwood? I think it's very difficult because I think she led a life in Kenwood that was very distant to the life for slaves on the plantation. Trying to reconcile the two is quite difficult. I think she would have been in quite a difficult position, especially knowing that her uncle, Sir David, had married into a family who were very fond of of, uh, using slaves. I think that would have been a, a rather difficult place to be from her perspective, assuming she knew about it. Again, we don't know how shielded she was from that. You've been listening to the English Heritage Podcast. To find out more about Dido Elizabeth Bell or to plan a visit to Kenwood, head to the English Heritage website. Next week, we continue Black History Month with English Heritage Poet-in-Residence Jacob Samler Rose as he explores the past through a poetry project. It is about looking for those sparks, those connections, those ideas that rub up against each other and start to sing. Thanks for listening. See you next time.